So I am excited to get to talk to you about um, something that's very important for the summer, um, but I want to kind of throw uh, in a completely different direction that you would be surprised uh, to start this message. How many of you have ever went to a restaurant and had such a bad experience, like such a terrible experience, perhaps it was the food was just awful, right, tastes terrible, it was cold, they, they didn't take care of you, or perhaps even the food was actually okay, um, you didn't realize the food was bad until a few hours later, right? And then you realize, oh my goodness, what was that? And you had the worst night of your life, and you're like, ah, oh my, this is terrible. Or maybe it wasn't even to do with food. Maybe you went to a place... And instead, your bad experience came from the staff who were there. The food might have been okay, but people treated you, you know, poorly, or the service was really, really poor. They had an attitude, and there was something. And whatever the situation is, have you guys ever had a situation in your life where you've went to a place, you've left, and you said, I'm never going back to that restaurant again? How many of you guys have had that happen? Go ahead. Yes, right? Where you have that experience that, that's so bad, you say, I am never going to that restaurant ever again. Never again in my life. In fact, some of you guys, you didn't just decide you weren't going to go there again. You decided you were going to share your feelings about not going there anymore, right? So you went on Facebook or whatever like that and you started posting stuff. Or maybe you called your friends and you told them about this terrible experience. Or maybe you didn't go that far. But certainly, I know what happens. If you're one of those people who said, I'll never go to that restaurant again. If you're out with friends and they say, oh, I think we're going to go out to eat. I think we're going to go to blank. And that's your place. You'll be like, don't. You'll immediately cut them off, right? Don't go to that place. I had the worst experience ever. I went there and this and this and this and this and this. And you basically try to talk them out of it. Now, why would I say this? Here's why. Um, It would seem reaching, but it's not. What happened is you lost hope in that restaurant. And you say, hope, it's just a restaurant. But no, it isn't. The word hope, what that means is it's the feeling that something good can happen. That applies to a multitude of areas of our life. Hope is the feeling that something good could happen in a situation. And hope is what drives us in our lives. Think about it. When we think something good can happen, it just steers our lives towards it, doesn't it? We're drawn to hope like magnetism. Things that we have hope in, our life just naturally steers towards because we say something good could happen there. So I just naturally, I walk towards that direction. Something good can happen. But see, what happened with that situation with the restaurant is you lost hope. You no longer believed something good could happen there. If I go there again, I'm going to get the same terrible service. If I go there again, I'm going to get the same terrible food. I'm going to get the same terrible situation. I don't believe something good will come out of me going again. Therefore, I am never going again. What's interesting is some of your friends, they might have lost hope without even having experienced it just by listening to you. You made such a a convincing argument as to the fact of how bad your experience is. They didn't even have the bad experience, but they're not going to go because they don't have hope in that restaurant because you took it away from them. By by you sharing your information, you killed whatever hope they might have had in that restaurant. They decided, well, I'm not going to go there. If they had that bad experience, I'm sure I will too, and I'm not going to go there. Now, the reason why this is important is because I believe... I believe the local church is in a really similar situation. I believe that the local church, the groups of people just like us in our communities, sit in a really similar situation where people participated in in church and they had a bad experience. 
They had a terrible experience where, where somebody mistreated them, somebody didn't take care of them, somebody, man, cut them off, somebody really, really uh, mistreated their trust. Perhaps they went there and it wasn't what they were hoping for. Instead of being offered hope, they were just offered religion. And whether it was, you know, five, six, seven years old, whether it was 17, 18, 19 years old, whether it was in the 20s, 30s, maybe it was even in your 50s, that person walked away from the church and they said, I don't have hope in the church anymore. I don't believe that if I go there, anything good is going to happen. I've been hurt by the situation, and I think if I go back to the local church, all that's going to happen is the same pain's going to happen again, the same situation's going to happen again. I don't believe anything good could happen there. Nothing good is going to come from it, and they lost hope in the church. But then what happened is they begin to talk. They begin to share their experiences with others and other people. I might mention that they're exploring something in their faith and people would say, don't go to the church. I've been there. I can tell you for sure, you won't find what you're looking for. All you're going to find is is you're going to find this narrow-minded group of people who are, man, super religious and they're just going to knock you down and pick on you. They don't offer anything good. Don't bother. There's nothing good there for you. And then there's an entire generation now of people who they didn't even have the bad experience. They just listen to their aunt or their uncle or their mom or their dad or their brother or their sister, and they believed what they said. If you had that bad of experience, that would probably be what my, my experience would be as well. I guess probably nothing good would happen in the local church. There's no point in me participating in it. Well, the problem with that is, is if it's a restaurant, I mean, people might miss out on a cheeseburger or some greasy chicken, Right? Which is a travesty in the Illinois Valley, I admit, right? Greasy chicken is like our staple in the Illinois Valley of what we eat. It's like another food group. I know, it, like on the pyramid, right? The top is greasy chicken, of course, absolutely. That and raviolis that we call raviolis, even though it's tortellinis. I don't know what we... <laughs> Illinois Valley, we're weird. But it's not just missing out on a burger or on a chicken... Somebody who has this bad experience or maybe somebody who heard this bad experience and lost hope, they might miss out on something they desperately need for this life, on something they desperately need for the next life, on hope that they're so longing for because they don't believe anything good could happen in the local church. I think the local church finds itself in a similar position, and I think it's the local church's job to fix that. I don't think we can just point at people and say, oh, well, they don't have hope anymore. There's something wrong with them. We step and we say, we have to fix this. And for us here in the Illinois Valley, we mean we want to fix this here in the Illinois Valley. That us as a church, we believe that we can fix this. And we believe it starts with Hope Week. I don't know if you guys were here last year. If you guys are new, you might not have heard about this. But Hope Week is something we're passionate about. And we've been doing it every summer. This will be our third year. What it is, is we get together local churches to work together to serve our community radically for seven days. We take and we block off a week and we get churches to come together to go out and to serve our community to make it better for seven days, to radically serve during that time. And in it, we work with the cities. We, we talk to the city governments. We talk to organizations. We talk to schools, libraries, organizations that help the community. We ask them, what could we do if we could step in and we could bring money and we could bring time? We could come in and what could we do that would, would help this community? 
And what's awesome is when we jam it all into one week, you know what happens? It becomes unignorable by our community. The projects on their own are amazing. And if you spaced them out over a year, it would still be awesome. But when you do them all within the course of seven days, it becomes unignorable. You see, we don't, you realize you don't feel velocity, you feel acceleration. You know that, right? You can be driving 100 miles an hour in your car and you don't feel it. What you feel is the accelerator or you feel the brake. That's the change. That's the acceleration. And see, when we do this in seven days, the acceleration is so sharp in seven days that people can't help but ignore it. They say, everything is it's different. Look, oh my, look at all these parks, all these things. There's, there's a change in only seven days' time. Last year when we did this, we got six churches to participate. We had over 200 volunteers. With those people, we put over $8,500 directly back into the community, and we served 1,413 hours in seven days. That's amazing. 1,413 hours in seven days. An average of 200 hours of community service worked every single day. Insane. In that time, we painted classrooms at a LaSalle school. We pulled weeds throughout town. We cleaned and painted two different libraries. We refurbished nine different parks. We painted a parking garage in LaSalle, and we installed a ramp for a disabled citizen in our community. Friends, when we get these churches together, there's an opportunity we have. And it's to, it's to, to bring the, the potential forward that something good could happen. To bring hope back into the community. That when we partner together, we can bring this idea. Something good happened. Perhaps something else good could happen. Now, Acts is the driving force behind Hope Week. We were the ones who kind of like pioneered it and tried to get it off the ground. We're the ones who kind of do the back end work on it as far as that's concerned. And we invite churches from all this area to join in with us. But we do a lot of the heavy lifting at Acts Church because we're so passionate about it. Um, The church lets me spend a significant portion of my summer focused on developing these projects, trying to figure out how we're going to go into the community. We put a massive amount of finance behind it to be able to get it to work. And we do all the work to try to set up the leaders going out and trying to do these projects, the connections with the communities, and it is a ton of work. Now, why would Axe Church do this? Why would Axe spend this much time trying to do something like Hope Week? Well, the reason is we have a set of values at our church. When we started our church, we asked the Lord what church we should be, and he gave us 13 core values, and those core values steer us in everything we do. And Hope Week perfectly aligns with three of our core values I want to share with you. Three things that we said, this is who we are, this is who we always want to be. And Hope Week just, it it walks exactly with that as we go forward. First, we believe in meeting people where they're at. We believe in meeting people where they're at. We're happy to be a church that people can come as they are. Right? We're, that, that's, that's one of our things that we do for sure. I mean, we're a church that's pretty irreligious, right? You don't have to look a certain way. You don't have to know anything to be here. People come in and grab a cup of coffee, sit down, explore your faith. You don't have to be anything or have anything figured out to be here. Certainly, you can come as you are, but there's a problem with that philosophy. There are tons and tons, thousands and thousands of people who are never going to come as they are. They don't have any hope in the church, and they're not going to bother wasting their time to get up and come to a service. So we might be a place where you can come as you are, but that's not going to do it. And we're not okay with saying, well, then they're just stuck out there and we're in here. We believe that it's our responsibility to go to where they're at. We believe it's our responsibility to go to wherever they're participating in community, wherever they're out in there, and connect with them where they currently sit at. 
The reason why this is so important to us is because this is what Jesus did when he was on earth. When Jesus was here, he was the master of this. I mean, the Son of God, the most, I mean, for sure, I mean, he had a lot to get done, right? But he went to where people were at. Listen to this story. It's in Luke 8, 40 through 48. It says this, On the other side of the lake, the crowds welcomed Jesus because they had been waiting for him. Then a man named Jairus, a leader of the local synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet. Pleading with him to come home with him, his only daughter, who was about 12 years old, was dying. As Jesus went with him, he was surrounded by crowds. Take a second there. Jesus, Jairus comes, meets him, and says, My daughter is dying. Would you stop what you're doing and come with me to where my daughter is? And Jesus says, Yes. He goes to where this little girl is to be able to heal her. And listen as the story continues because he's not done yet. It says in verse 43, A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, and she could find no cure. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe, and immediately the bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. Everyone denied it, and Peter said, Well, Master, the whole crowd is pressing up against you. But Jesus said, No, somebody deliberately touched me, for I felt healing power go out from me. Jesus is the coolest person in the universe, isn't he? (laughs) I felt healing power flow from me. When the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees in front of him. The reason why is because if she was bleeding, it meant she was ceremonially unclean. Jesus was a Jewish rabbi, meaning that he would be ceremonially clean. For her to touch him would be transferring her uncleanliness to him, and he would be ceremonially unclean and not able to go to the temple when he followed the Jewish tradition. It would be offensive to that culture. So that's why she's scared. Says the whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had been immediately healed. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. What I love about Jesus is when he came to this earth, he didn't decide just to like put up a tent, put up a building and sit there and say, if you want healing, if you want to be fed, come and I'll I'll take care of you here. I mean, he certainly could have, right? I mean, he was healing people. People were already traveling for miles to try to interact with this man. He could have just said, I'm going to put a tent right here in the center of town. You can come here if you want to meet me. If you want to meet me, I'll explain who I am. I'll heal you. I'll feed you, and we'll go from there. But Jesus didn't do that. He went to where people were at. He went with Jairus to his house to heal his daughter. Along the way, he accepted an invitation to be distracted from where he was going in order to heal this woman as well. The reason why Jesus didn't just stay planted is because he realized he would miss people who needed to meet him if he just stayed in one spot. A woman like this, who had been suffering for years and years and years and years and people had prayed for her and nothing had happened, maybe she wouldn't have traveled all the way to where Jesus was, but all of a sudden he's coming through town. And she hears he's only a block over and she thinks, well, maybe I should go see him. And then all of a sudden he's there. He's, he's five, ten feet away from me, and maybe he really is something that's different. And she snatches at him, and she, she catches him, and she's healed. Jesus realized that if he just stayed in one place, there would be people who would miss the opportunity to know who he was, to find hope in him. That's why he went to where people were at. He met those who didn't believe in him yet. See, that would be one of the problems as well. If he just set up a central tent, people would have to think he must be something special in order to come and see him. But these people that Jesus was serving, they didn't believe he was the son of God. They didn't believe he was that yet. They they didn't know. They just said, someone said that this guy heals people. 
I want to go and I want to meet him. And after they had met with him, all of a sudden their eyes were open to it. Jesus realized a lot of people, they're not going to believe. They wouldn't come to see me. I need to go to where they're at. When Jesus did this, he went into these areas. He proved who he was really for. He proved that he really cared and that he loved these people. That it wasn't just about propping up himself, right? Because there was this big, you know, shrine where he sat and people came to him about that. He went to where they were to heal them. And you know this is true. If, if, if you ask somebody to do something and they say, well, yeah, come over here and I'll take care of it. You think, well, okay, that's fine, I guess. But, but if you ask somebody to do something and they come to you and they do it, man, that's serving you, isn't it? When somebody goes out of their way to do something for you, right, they come to you and then serve you, that's radical, right? You're like, you did something for me, but I didn't have to do anything. You came all the way to where I was, and then you did this for me. It proved that Jesus was for these people, that he cared about these people, that he loved these people. Friends, in Hope Week, when we get churches together and go out into the community to where people are, we meet people who would never, ever meet us. We meet people who would never, ever come into the church. And when we go to right where they're at, where their kids go to school, where their kids go into this library, where their kids play in a park, where they participate in this, wherever we're going and we do something right where they're at, all of a sudden the perspective changes and they see what we're for. They say, you actually must care about this city. You actually must care about its citizens. What if the local church, what if our local churches, what if we were better known for what we stand for instead of what we stood against? What if we were more known for what we stand for? The people said, those people are for the community. Those people are for this city. Instead of all the things that church is always known as standing against. Oh, they're against this. They're against this. They're against this. What if it was louder, the fact of what we were for, what we moved for, what we, we worked for? So, of course, meeting people where they're at. But the next one, this one's one of our passions as far as core values. We believe in the church, not Acts Church. And that terminology is a little weird. If you haven't really grown up in anything with the church, you might wonder what that means. When I say the church, like when I, I formalize it, I mean all of us who are believers. All of us who believe in Jesus. Basically, the collective church of those who, who believe in Jesus. We're just one part of that. But we believe in the church, not Acts Church. We don't see other churches in this community as our competition. We're all in the same race. We're all fighting the same fight. We don't think that there's a fixed number of believers, and if one church grows, another church shrinks. We believe in the gospel, that there are people who are coming and meeting Jesus. And when we see a church grow, when we see a church thrive, we celebrate with them. We say, man, they're making headway. We're all heading in the same direction. You're winning. You're killing it. We celebrate with you. And when one hurts, we hurt with it. We're all on the same team. We're all walking in the same direction. I've told people before, people have come in and they said, oh, I like, like this church and this and this. And sometimes people will say, I don't really know if this church is for me. And I say, I'll gladly give you a list of churches if you want to visit other ones. There are great churches in this area. They're friends. I, I have coffee with their pastors. We're friends. We don't think of them as, as enemies. We think of them as allies. This is critical to our faith. And all the way back, man, around Jesus' time, Paul was writing to the church of Corinth. 
And that literally would mean the churches in the city of Corinth. When you read those books in the New Testament, Corinthians, Ephesians, Galatians, all those ones like that, it literally was a town. That's what it was. Corinthians would be the city of Corinth, and he was writing to all the believers inside of that city. So just like Sal Peru, this, this community, he was writing a letter to say, circulate it around through the different communities and let them read this because I need to correct some things that are going on. And listen what he says in 1 Corinthians 12. I'm going to kind of jump through a couple little pieces of this so you can catch it. He uses this amazing analogy to try to fix any type of of, of misthought in regards to thinking that they were separate little entities. He says this, The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. And that term, body of Christ, it means all of the believers. So it is with the body of Christ, with all the believers. Some of us are Jews, some of us are Gentiles. He says there's different races that exist in our church. Different races. He says, some are slaves and some are free. He says, there are rich people, there are poor people in the church. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit. And we all share the same spirit. He says, there might be different races, there might be different classes, but you only serve one God. So we're all one when it comes to that. Jump down to verse 18. It says, but our bodies, they have many parts. And God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. He says, just like our bodies are made up of these different parts, they all work together in harmony to create one body. He says, just because one is different than the other doesn't mean it's any less valuable. He says, you, you, you still need all of them. He says, the same thing with you guys, with your little pockets of believers, these different churches. He says, you might have differences, but you're all part of one body. You can't say you don't need that other one. They're different, but they're all serving the one body of Christ. Let's finish up verse 25 through 27. It says, this makes for harmony among the members, so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together, listen to this, all of you together are Christ's body. And each of you is part of it. Paul says there's all these different little churches in in Corinth. The term is literally ecclesia. It means a group of people who are meeting together. That's what this would be like. We would be one of those groups that would meet together. And he says the groups have differences. Some of them, you know, they might, they might have more of a certain race than another. Some of them might have different, you know, economic status. Some might have more wealthy people. Some might have more poor people. He says, you know, they're going to be different in regards to, to how they look or how they do service. Of course, some churches might be a little more quiet. Some churches might be a little more loud, uh, like ours. Um, he says there's all these different things in you, but he says you, you're not separate. You're all part of one body. You can't say you don't need that other one. He says, you're all in the same race. We believe this as a church. There are people who who they don't sync up with how we do church, and we're glad for them to sync up with another way that another church in this area does it. We're all part of this one body. And I love that picture. It says one body, the body of Christ. Now think about this, because this is important. What was the body of Christ for? I mean, his physical body, that's what he's comparing it to. When Jesus was here, he leveraged his physicality, his physical body, to serve people and to save people. 
He used his body to go and touch people, to heal people, to serve them, to save them. And he says, you as the church, if there's something I can picture you as, you're like a body, but you're not just like a body in the sense that you're different parts that come together. You're like Jesus's body. So your mission is all the same, to go out and to serve those people, to touch them, to save them. He says, you're you're Christ's body. Friends, we believe this when it comes to Hope Week. We believe that when we get people together and we we lay aside some of those things and and we step into all of us coming together and serving our community, we are living out what they're saying here, being Jesus' body. Different parts coming together and serving. And, And you know, this is what's so amazing, what happens. When we get multiple churches to come together and to serve the community, we take the community's eyes off of all the things that we have different We take the community's eyes off of all the things that separate us, all the things that make us different, and we put their eyes on the one thing that makes us the same, the one thing that brings us together, Jesus. The only thing they truly need to see, the only thing their eyes truly need to fall on, the only thing that can change their life. When we work together, we finally shift their focus off of all the things that separate us onto the one thing that unifies us, the one thing that can actually change their life. Friends, what would happen if churches were better known for what they had in common than what they had that separated them? What if we were better known by our communities about the the things that that bind us together, the, the true faith in Jesus? What if that was what they knew about us more than anything else, that they are unified? Man, they are one on this, and that was so much louder than all the differences we had. Their eyes would finally be on the one thing that truly mattered. This is what happens when we do Hope Week with other churches. Last core value that this is right in line with. X Church believes that faith without action is dead. Faith without action, it's dead. We don't want to just be talkers. In fact, I think that the church has said too much, to be honest with you. Us as a whole, as the Christian church, I think we have said far too much. Talk is extremely cheap. Everyone knows us for what we say about things, what we think about things. We shout so loud about what we believe, and then we do nothing. Friends, we believe at our church that if we say we care about something, we have to put action to it. If we say we believe something, we have to do something that supports it. The way we put it is we say, we will never let our words travel farther than our feet. If we say it, we're going to walk it out. We're going to follow it up with action because it's critical. Jesus' brother, James, his half-brother, James. Half-brother, right? Same mom, different dad. It's important to know. Yes. That's like a cheesy pastor joke, right? His brother got this. His brother became a pastor, which is evidence enough if you ever wondered whether or not Jesus really was the son of God, right? His brother grew up with him, and after he died and came back from the dead, his brother believed that he was actually the Messiah. That's insane, right? His brother became a pastor in the Christian church, and he wrote this to the believers, trying to get them to understand this picture. And this is kind of a long section, but I need you to read it because this is something that we value so much as a church. Listen to what he says in James 2, 14 through 26. He says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? 
Suppose you see a brother or a sister who has no food or clothing and you say, well, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. Now, some may argue, well, some people have faith and others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith for you believe that there's one God. Well, good for you. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Don't you remember our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? Now, this is an old school story all the way back in Genesis where Isaac literally had to trust his son's life in the hands of God. As you see, his faith and his actions, they work together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened, just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we're shown to be right, by, right with God by what we do, not just by faith alone. Rahab, the prostitute, is another example. This is an old school story when they were going into uh, the promised land and she hid spies. It says she was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them away safely by a different road. Verse 26, focus in on this. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. James says, let me, let me try to make this really clear. He says, when you have faith, you will have action. Faith without action is dead. He says, like, literally, just like the body has to have breath to continue being alive, your faith has to have action. He says, if there is no action, you're not alive. You're not breathing, so you're dead. He says, it's useless. It's not that your actions are what save you, but he says, once you have that faith, once you have that connection with Jesus, there's no way you can't act. When you see there's no actions, it'd be like the IT guy saying, right, like first check that it's plugged in, and you go, oh, nope, it's not plugged in. That would be the reason why it isn't working. He says, you're not plugged into Jesus if there's no action. That's what does it. He says, when you, when you get connected to Jesus, when you have that faith, it brings itself forth in action. It has to happen. Friends, when we get churches together for Hope Week and we go out into our community, it's awesome because it's, it's not about what we say. It's not about what we believe and shouting about what we think about situations. We go out and we do. And what's awesome about that is people can disagree with what we say. People can disagree with what we believe but they can't disagree with what we do. They might say, well, I don't really know if I think all the things they think. I don't really know if I support all the things they support. But I'm glad they're in our community. They're making it better. They're making the place better. They're, I don't think I agree with everything, but I appreciate the way that they serve my kids by painting their school. I don't think I agree with everything, but I appreciate the fact that they were out doing something. Because the broad majority of people, all they ever hear is words. Talk, talk, talk. But when they see action, it changes something. Friends, what if the local church was better known for what we did than what we said? What if we were more marked? When people would talk about the local church, it wouldn't be about all the things we believe and what we said about this and what we said about this. It would be about what we did, where they said, wow, yeah, I'm glad they're here. Look what they did to our community. Look how they made this place better. Friends, Acts Church, the reason why we're passionate about Hope Week, the reason why we're willing to put so much effort behind it, 
is because when we get churches together and we go out and we serve the community radically, we meet people we would never meet. Instead of their eyes being distracted by all the things that separate us, their eyes fall on the one thing that unifies us, Jesus. And they might disagree with everything we believe, but they appreciate our actions. And when they see that happening, all of a sudden this this hope begins to swell again in their chest. I don't know, but maybe, maybe something good could could happen in the church. I'm not sure, but maybe something good is coming from the local church. Maybe, just maybe, something good could happen. The reason why we think this is also so critical is because we believe that without hope, there's no chance you would believe in the message of Jesus. See, hope is the thought that something good can happen. And I think that hope is disappearing from our culture. I think people are becoming extremely cynical. They don't believe something good could happen. So when you introduce them to the fact that there's a God who cares about you so much that instead of leaving you in a place of lostness, he sent his son, he came to this earth as himself to come pay for your sin, and he did 100% of the work so that after this life you could live forever in a place of joy, happiness, friendship. They would say, well, that just sounds too good to be true. It does, doesn't it, if you don't have any hope? Friends, we have to start them in in thinking maybe something good could happen so they could accept something like this because we know what our hope truly is. And Matthew, the writer Matthew, he points to Jesus and he says this quoting from Isaiah from thousands of years earlier, a prophecy about this man Jesus. He says this in Matthew 12, 17 through 21. This fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah concerning him, Jesus. Look at my servant whom I've chosen. He's my beloved who pleases me. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not fight or shout or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. Finally, he will cause justice to be victorious. And his name will be the hope of all the world. We know that Jesus' very name is the hope of all the world. And we want to inspire hope in the local church because we don't want someone missing the opportunity to find the one true hope for this life and the next. We don't want someone being cynical because they heard someone saying something or they had a bad experience and thinking nothing good could happen there. It's our job to restore that hope so that they might find the one true hope in the local church. So as a church, as Acts, we are pushing forward Hope Week this summer. We are going to go into the community with other churches and we are going to radically serve the community. But... I'm not Acts Church. This building is an Acts Church. The legal entity is an Acts Church. We're Acts Church. When I say Acts Church is going to go into the community, what I'm saying is I'm challenging you to go into the community. We are Acts Church. We are the group of believers who are being called towards this. That God is calling us as a church to step out and say, we do not accept the fact that our culture is not hopeful in the church. And we want to go and we want to fix this in our culture. We are willing to go and to radically serve, to bring hope to our community, to bring hope just in the general sense, and bring hope back to the local church. That we as a group of believers put our, our forces together, our hands together, and we step into the community to do this. And here's my challenge for you. Barring some sort of physical ailment that keeps you from being able to get up and get out, 
My challenge is that every single one of you would serve in at least one project. And my special challenge to a lot more of you is you would serve radically in these seven days. You would serve radically in these seven days. Every one of you to find something. What I'd love for you to do, jump on your calendar, open up your phone, right? Go to June 11th through 17th. That's about a month away and start blocking off days. Start blocking off. I can't be doing this this day. I got to move this because I need to be here to be able to serve and be a part of this. And come to one of them and see what happens inside of you when you serve your community. Take that step and come and serve and see what happens because I'm telling you, it will change you. It will change you from the inside out. And if you say, oh, well, Cameron, I didn't know. You didn't tell me and I planned this and I have a vacation amount of time. That's fine. Take your calendar. Swipe 12 more months forward. The week before Father's Day 2018, block off the week. We're doing it next year, too. Right now, you just block it off. Say, okay, I made a mistake. I couldn't be. Next year, though, I'm blocking it off. I'm not going to miss this again. Every year, we're doing it the week leading up to Father's Day. You can always put it in your calendar as far out as you want. My challenge is for every one of you to serve at least at one project. My challenge is for many more of you. Instead of asking the question, what can I fit into my schedule? You ask the question, How radically can I bring hope to my community in this week? Not how can I fit serving into my schedule. You say, how can I change my schedule so I can bring as much hope into this community as I can in seven days? How can I serve? How much hope could flow through me? In seven days, how much hope could flow through my body into this community? We have people who take vacation time during Hope Week to be able to serve every year. I do not think that's too radical. I do not. You'll say, you're going to take vacation time to serve? Yes. Yes, we're going to leverage what we have to be able to affect people so that in eternity someday we might meet somebody who's there because we skipped going to the beach and instead we served our community. Yeah, that's worth it to me. That's worth it to me that we'd say, it's worth taking a night off. It's worth changing my schedule. It's worth maybe taking a day off. It's worth taking an evening off if you're working or changing your schedule and saying, can we do that next week? I need to serve my community. I want to be part of what God's doing here. I want to help bring hope to our community. You have the opportunity. My challenge is for all of you to serve. My second challenge for you is this. I'd also challenge you to give to Hope Week. Each year when we do Hope Week, we just do it right out of our general budget. We, we spend whatever it takes, really, to get this done. To be honest with you, every year for Hope Week, it usually costs us up to about 10% of our entire annual budget for our church to do Hope Week. And we love the fact that we get to pour that back into the community, okay? And our opportunities have grown so fast. We have an amazing amount of opportunities. And I am not taking up some sort of special offering. I'm not taking up some sort of thing. I'm just asking you, you be generous. We pull it right out of our regular budget. Last night, okay, this is how good God is, and this is how good God is when you're focused on what he wants you to do, okay? Last night I shared, I said, with where we're going with Hope Week right now, we are $5,000 short of where we need to be right now, and we need an extra trailer. One hour after service, someone come up to me and said, I'll give you the $5,000. A few minutes after that, someone called me and said, I have a trailer. Another guy called me and said, I have a trailer you can use. That person who gave that $5,000, they said, I'll make up the deficit. Now you ask for them to be generous and everything we get past this, that means growth. That doesn't mean making up a deficit. That means anything we give in generosity, it has new opportunities and new potentials that we can go forward. 
That we can say, we can do more. We can go farther. We're talking to this organization. They say, wish we could do this. We say, we can do it. Yeah, I know that you can't. We have the ability to go and do that. And we can stretch farther and we can push more hope into our community. Like I said, not taking a special offering. I just want to say, we have, we have a month. If you have the opportunity to be generous, I ask you to be generous. There is no better place that I think you can put money than say, I want to make sure that we take and we use it to put hope into this community. And there's some of you who can. And honestly, there are some of you that can be so generous, you can give $10. And you think, $10? Yeah, $10. $10 when we buy bulk orders of paint, that's like half a gallon of paint. That's a whole swing set we painted. Your $10 could make the difference on how much we get done. It's when we put what we have together. It's not about the amount. It's about you saying, how could, could I be generous to help us make sure we can push hope into this community? Man, God, God's got it. That blew my mind last night. I walked out and I said, God, you need to keep growing my faith. Because I, I, I didn't imagine that could be taken care of in one hour. I say, if you can be generous, we can continue to push forward and do more and more and more. We're going to bring hope to this community. We're going to restore hope in the local church with local churches. My challenge for you is to step up and to serve. Today, when you head out, you can go back. There's a sign up. I want you to put down your information. Say, count me in. I want to be part of this. Count me in. I want to be a part of what we're doing in our community. I don't want to miss what God is doing in our community. And together, together, this is year three. Friends, we can shift the perspective of our community on what the church means. We can shift it so all of a sudden, when you say church, they think, well, maybe something good could happen there if I went. Maybe something good could happen if we invite them to be part of our community. Pray with me. God, I am so thankful for what a great God you are. For the fact that you, you call us to do more than just sit and soak. You don't just call us to meet you and then just sit there and, and just talk about you. You call us to be part of your mission, and I think that's amazing. That you would involve us in your mission. That you want to change people's perspective. You want to restore hope in the local church in this area. And that you trust us. You believe in us so much as your sons and daughters that you say, come along and help Come along and help. I will do work through you. I will restore hope through you. Jesus, I pray that you would challenge each of us to serve. That you would challenge each of us to make a way that we can be there, that we can be part of what you're doing and that we wouldn't miss it. Lord, that in future years when we look back and we see the shift that took place in our culture, Lord, we'd be able to say, I was part of that. I was there for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.